Today, we're joined by Canton, Massachusetts native Rob Flynn, former Harvard hockey player who went on to a great professional hockey career before getting into technology sales. He tells us a little bit about his journey from a big company to building many different small startups, including his most recent venture, Link Squares, which just raised a $150 million Series C. J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? Yeah, what's going on? How we doing? Super pumped for this one. I know, this is a good one. Uh, we got Rob Flynn, uh, Canton native, Harvard University grad, the Holy Cross of Cambridge. Unreal. We've <laughs> 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 been waiting to say that all day. <laughs> I have, man. I have it written down right here. It's what I knew was going to be my first line. Um, so, so everyone, we're gonna we're gonna as usual we're gonna get into Rob's background and his athletic career a little bit. We're gonna talk about his transition to being an adult and getting into tech sales, and then we have a couple really important topics that are close to my heart that we're gonna cover in Rob's heart and John's too. I think so. This is gonna be a really good conversation. Um, so we gotta. I mean, we we gotta start at Harvard, man. Like you know, you're you're a Boston kid. Uh, you know. Got to go to one of the most prestigious universities in the world. How, how, how'd you end up at Harvard, my man? Like, I want to know right from there. What was it like pulling on the sweater? How'd you get there? Like, tell us about that. Yeah. Um, for, uh, I grew up, I mean, my my cousin, Kevin O'Sullivan, was a captain of BU in 93. So I grew up going to BU hockey games. Thought I was, was going to go to BU. And then... Um, as I started to started to play and get get closer to college, uh, had started to get offers from uh, Ivy League schools. I was at Milton Academy before I went out to the under eighteen national team and played out there. Um, and while I was out there, you know, committed to Harvard. But I, I remember talking to my cousin. He was like, "Listen, if you don't go to Harvard, you're an idiot. Like you have the opportunity, the opportunity to do that. Like why would you not do that?" So uh, it was pretty clear that that once Harvard came knocking, that that's that's what I was going to do. Being able to stay in Boston, play in the bean pot, do all the stuff that I wanted to do, and be able to go to Harvard was was a pretty cool experience. So um, it was a it was an easy choice in the end in a lot of ways. So uh, luckily because of hockey, right? Like hockey is what what got me there, and 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 that's uh, you know was able to I had good grades and everything like that. But if it weren't for hockey, it just would have been another person. I was I was going to ask Rob like Harvard. I think you know everybody thinks it's wicked hard. What was your GPA when you were there? How'd you do? Um, they, I have a degree. <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's what, that's what counts no i mean like we, we uh it, i was there during the time frame where they were cracking down on what they call grade inflation too so i always point back to that and say that they were <laughs> they were trying to they were trying to deflate uh gpas at that time uh oh, yeah. but that yeah i mean like obviously i was economics uh major at, at harvard and um you know played a lot of hockey too, but the value of Harvard is really the people you meet there and the, the other like the other uh, students and the, the networks and the connection that you can create. And also something I talk about with our with our sales team here at, at Link Squares a lot is like they're also the expectations that people have coming out of there. 
right? There's just expectations that people are going to be successful, that they're going to work hard, they're going to do things and actually like um, provide value. And I don't know, like be, be successful. It's just sort of like an expectation that if you go to Harvard, everyone expects it of you, but also the people who are there also expected that they were going to leave. And if they went into law school, that they were going to be like, you know, the goal was to be on the Supreme Court or whatever it was, right? Like everyone just had the highest goals to do different things. And so that was like the unique and interesting part about Harvard for me was, was seeing that. And I think it still drives me a lot today of thinking about like, all right, as I'm looking at my career, seeing other people I went to college with, seeing what they're doing now and being like, geez, yeah, like there's still a long way to go. So, so obviously you, you were, you were sitting in Cambridge dreaming of slinging software, right? Like that was your, that was your goal the whole time. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Yep. Yep. You had a long planned out uh, path to get here. Uh, Just like yeah, John yeah. and I. Yeah. yeah it was yeah. always the dream. Yeah, very straightforward. Um, and and living my dream now, of course. So, um, yeah, the uh, we actually one of my one of my roommates was uh, was Al Gore's son, and we had a dinner with Al Gore once, and he went around and asked us all what we wanted to do like after school, and it was a few hockey players who were you know Ryan Land and Noah Welch saying like you know want to play in the NHL, go that direction. Um, Dove Grim Morris, our goalie, was I don't know, talking about working in the government, which he does now. Uh, other people were talking about going to finance and it came to me and I said, like, I, I want to, I, I like realistically, um, I found out that like the different types of hot dog buns on the West coast, I thought. So I told Al Gore, I want to sell, I want to sell hot dog buns on the West coast when I get like, when, I, when I'm done. And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I was like, no, you want to do, huh? And I go, no, I have no clue what he goes. Yeah. And it sounds like it. Uh, but to this day, I guess Al, Al says his dad will ask him, how's the hot dog bun guy doing? He's like, oh, he sells software now, actually. He's like, ah, that makes so much sense. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it seems to be, it's always a common theme with everybody, including John and I. Like, it, you kind of end up there. It's, it's never on purpose necessarily, but it's, they do say everything happens for a reason. I have zero regrets about it. I'm sure you feel the same way, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Ultimately, you know, this is uh, for for me. Uh, like, I love the idea of like growing companies and, and software and everything that we do here, and, and that I've been able to do in my career, and have found the path uh, to be able to do that. So for me, it's it's fun, it's exciting, and I mean, that's what I that's what I wanted to do coming out of Harvard was find something like this and to be able to do it is awesome. So so it's uh, yeah, it may not be exactly what we planned or what I thought. I thought maybe more finance, like everyone else, or something along those lines. But as I started to started to you know get deeper in my career and realize that like building things and doing this is what i love to do so it's it's uh it's definitely a dream yeah so rob that's what that's what we talk to a lot of people on the podcast about so for anyone out there who's listening they're probably in that phase of life where they're just about to graduate maybe it's not harvard but they're looking to the job market and thinking okay i'm i'm probably done with sports i'm not gonna go to the major leagues or nhl but what do i do next so can you talk a little bit about right after school kind of your your transition period on that i want to hear about the sp and the coast yeah like, we have to hit that uh, so i'll yeah for for me i was lucky enough to get drafted by the rangers when i was in school after my freshman year went to a bunch of rookie camps with them um i always say now like i was a ninth round draft pick and you know when they had the when they renegotiated the deal in 2005, I think they dropped it down to seven rounds because idiots like me were getting drafted in the ninth round. They're like, yeah, we don't really need that. So, um, no. so the, uh, for, for me, like after, 
after school, I was like, all right, went to Hartford, got cut, got sent to Wheeling um, with, uh, I remember Sean Collins and I were roommates. He was loving it. And I was like, I have to get out of this place. I did not want to be in Wheeling. So uh, ended Wheeling, up, West Virginia, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ended up leaving camp there and like, all right, I'm quitting. I'm done. I'm driving home. Donnie Grover called me. He was in Danbury with the Danbury Trashers. So my first stop, my first professional game was with the Danbury Trashers, which at the time I knew would be an incredible story. It was one of those things that was, as soon as I showed up, it was the second year. And so for anyone who's seen the Netflix documentary, um, I was there for the first part of the second year, and it was a wild time, absolutely wild. Uh, Donnie's like, they'll pay you more than you make in the coast just to like be a practice player here. And I was like, all right, well, I figure out what I'm doing. I'll do that. So I went to Danbury and thought like, all right, this was going to be my transition. I thought I'd be there. And actually, I was going down to New York a lot, trying to like actually interview for finance and stuff like that, thinking like, all right, this is not going the direction I want. And I, I thought at that point is when I would make the change. Um, but hung out, hung in Danbury for about half, I don't know, until about December or so. I got in one game and then basically with roster rules, had to get like cut. And I was like, I'm not going anywhere else in this league. So um, Liam McCarthy, who was a few years older than me at Harvard, was down in Knoxville playing in the SPHL. Uh, and the hit like called me up and was like, Hey, you should come down here. If you're just going to like ride out the year, just come down here. It's like a blast. We're in Knoxville. It's a college town. It's a lot of fun. Um, and so I went down there and was like, yeah, all right, this is it. Like, this is, this is great. I actually thought like, if I'm going to play one more year, I'll try to go overseas or do something in Europe, which would be fun. Um, but about a month into being in Knoxville and, and the SPHL at that point was a, uh, it's not like the quality of the league has gone up a lot since I was there. It was probably like the second or third year. Um, and it wasn't that good. It was, it was, uh, like, I think my, I think one of my, my fourth or fifth game, I had like a double Gordy Howe. Um, so it was like a, it was a, a, an interesting league to play in, uh, to say the least. But, um, but yeah, so I, I went down there for like a month and then like I, I was doing well and randomly, Got a call from San Diego, uh, from the San Diego Gulls, who at the time were in the East Coast uh, League and the ECHL, and they needed someone to come out. So we were literally, our rookie party was in Knoxville uh, on a Saturday night. Um, I got the call at the bar. I was like, all right, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. Uh, flew out in the morning, played that afternoon, was like not in great shape. And afterwards, the coaches were like, well, you are, right? Like, this is not what we expected. And I was like, yeah, so we had our rookie party last night. They're like, really? You should have told us. We would have, like, we would have had you come the next day. I was like, ah. <laughs> um, so I ended up sticking it out in San Diego for the back half of that year, which was uh, which was great, actually. Um, San Diego was a phenomenal place to be in the coast at that point. And it's now obviously an HL team because it should have been. We were getting, like, 10,000 fans a game on, Saturday, on Friday and Saturday nights when – the Chargers were done before the Padres picked up. Like there wasn't a ton going on in San Diego, so people wanted to see sports. We come to the Gulls games, and and it was a it was a blast. Uh, so I was like, all right, this is great. I'll stick around in San Diego and play another year. Um, and like a week before the season, the next year, I'd signed on to play with San Diego again for my second year. Uh, I was like, all right, cool. I'm not going overseas. I'm going back to San Diego. And about a week before the season started, it, the the team folded. So. Just like up and I guess the owner wanted to potentially sell the land and it was like 2006. So it was the height of the real estate bubble and everything that was happening with that where the, the land that the uh, San Diego sports arena is on was, was worth like a ton of money, obviously. So um, 
they pulled the plug on the season because they didn't want to have a team operating there. And then like it was like a week before the season, like what am I going to do now? Uh, ended up going up to Long Beach for a little bit and then headed back to Knoxville to ride out the year. So it was a uh, the second the second, but even by the time I got back to Knoxville the second time around, the league was way better than it was the first year. Um, but I knew at that point, like, all right, it was a little disappointing because, like I said, the second year I would have wanted to go overseas and have that experience of playing somewhere in Europe if I was going to do that. Uh, but looking back, it was still fun, right? Getting the getting the play in San Diego and do that was was awesome. I think if the team hadn't folded, I might still be there. So ultimately, it's it's worked out well for for uh, for me and the way that it happened. But, um, but yeah, so that's the, the second year. Just rode out, uh, went back to Knoxville. And essentially after that year, I knew like that was it and it was time to find a real job. So I've never heard someone say I had to stick it out in San Diego, yeah, first right. of all. So no, I, would, I would love to stick it out in San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> and then secondly, and, and we'll, we'll get into like your, your transition to adulthood, but I've actually got to witness Rob's greatest skill that he learned as a pro hockey player by seeing him do karaoke live at the at, at Rosen Crown in Nantucket. So can you just quickly tell like what you did going into that rookie party, how you got prepared and like what you ended up doing? Cause I love that. So that, <laughs> that actually started in, in Danbury um, is I, we, there was like, there was not much to do in Danbury when I was there. It's not a really a happening place. And uh, there was like a, some, there was some bar that had karaoke on like Tuesday nights. And so like the whole team would go and they'd make the rookies sing karaoke. And I think like, I can't remember if they picked the song first or whatever it was, but like they did a one or two weeks of doing it where I just can't sing anything. And it was just terrible. Right. Like just getting up there. And that was the whole, that was like what they, the whole point. It was like entertaining for the older guys on the team, I guess. But I was like, if I'm going to do this, I might as well do something. And I couldn't think of like, all right, I can't sing. What could I do? And I'll, I'll give a shout out to, I don't know if you know Jack Baker, but, um, this other guy, he, yeah, B hockey player. Yeah. I'd seen him once, literally. I was at a bar around here in Boston and out of nowhere, this guy comes flying, like flying from the back and starts doing weed and start the fire. And I thought it was like the best thing ever. So I was like, all right, if I'm going to be forced to do karaoke and I can't sing, I might as well do something that's at least entertaining. So I just basically tried to copy that. So I'm probably revealing this that a lot of people might not know, but it's a total copy of Jack Baker's uh, We Didn't Start the Fire. And uh, from there, just was like, all right, I got to learn all the words. That's at least impressive. And and uh, was able to do that. And it's become a thing that, yeah, uh, I've, I've expanded my repertoire beyond just We Didn't Start the Fire, but that is the, the, uh, the best one. And it all stems from just not wanting to, to be terrible at karaoke and terrible at singing in Danbury when we had to do it. So, John, it's unreal. He drops the mic at the end. It's like you can do that. That's a that's a tough song. Like I was waiting to hear what it was. That is like, so awesome. Yep. He knows every word. He doesn't even look at the screen, he dude. It's, he comes out to the <laughs> he comes out to the crowd and he just hits every note. It's unreal. I, I yeah. love it. Oh, and I make everyone sing the chorus. I don't even want to sing that. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you you finish up pro hockey. Um, like once you knew you were hanging up the skates, like what was where were where were you at mentally, emotionally? Like was it was it a hard transition? Like what? Like tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think for for me it was really I knew pretty quickly once I like started once I went you know started bouncing around the minor leagues that this was like a this this wasn't 
going to go in the right direction, right? Like, and I saw, I just, it, it was something that, you know, I, I kind of come to terms with over the first year that I was like, all right, this is, this is like, this is a good experience. I get to do, like, I get to go and play across the country and like, enjoy that. Um, and like I said, that's what kind of why I was like thinking like, all right, next year I'll go to, like next year I'll go to Europe. And then the whole San Diego thing happened. I was like, well, I'm not leaving San Diego. So I'm going back. But <laughs> for me, like, I still don't know what I wanted to do. Right. Like I, I still had no clue what, what I was going to do after hockey. Um, but a lot of like all the, you know, everyone from Harvard was, this was, 2006, 2007, everyone was just getting jobs done in finance down in New York. It was just like every, everyone was getting jobs pretty easily. So it was like, it wasn't even a worry. It was like, all right, when you're done, like there's going to be something there available. You just have to go work and find, find a job down in New York. So that was sort of the expectation. It was, um, and it, it was tough. I mean, like I, I obviously playing hockey my whole life, loving it. It was, it was something that, um, you yeah, know, was, was tough to let go, tough to, not be part of the team and not be part of a team and have all the, all the guys that you hang out with all the time, you know, the, the camaraderie and everything like that it was something that, um, went away. And I think the other thing that went away and something I've talked to other people about is like, there's also this, because hockey is a physical sport, the ability to like get aggression out and to do that, like, you know, whether it's not even just fighting, but also just like hitting people and like being aggressive and doing that. Is something that once that goes away, that's also something that can be even harder for people to find an outlet or find something to do. Um, I've seen it happen with other like uh, other guys who who stop playing hockey that all of a sudden they start getting into bar fights and different things because they just don't like they don't have any outlet for aggression. Um, so there's a lot to it that was like all right, as a, that I didn't realize at the time, or I, I guess I didn't realize beforehand, but as I started to transition away from hockey, it was like it was more challenging than I thought. Um, I yeah, I moved back to Boston after the second like after the season ended in knoxville and realized like all right it's you know the next step is to move down to new york find a way to get down there and find a job um so this was like late this is now summer of 2007 starting to go into the fall of 2007 and so rob you're moving back to boston uh, so i moved back to boston after the second year um and my brother was heading down to new york to go to law school so i like was like all right we'll find a we'll find a spot he was looking to um, you know, he was getting, getting an apartment down there. It was late 2007. I moved to New York, uh, thinking that there were still jobs available and ran right into that, the recession, uh, where it was, the jobs dried up pretty quickly. Yeah, that was a bloodbath. That was a bloodbath. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I actually had like a, a kind of like, a, I just found through some connection, like a temp, almost like internship at a, at a medical device VC firm, a uh, venture capital firm down in, down New York and saw like was able to see what they were doing, which was basically looking at like companies and building companies and thinking about how that happens, how markets evolve, how things like that work. And it was fascinating to me and thought it was really cool. Um, so I was like, Oh, that's, that's super interesting. This is something I would like to do. And they like, but as everything happened, they didn't have like jobs going forward. They didn't have associate positions that they were, they were handing out. So, um, so I knew like it, it was a good, it was my first, uh, it was really my, my first like job in the business world was that kind of like temp internship at a, at a VC firm. And I was fascinated by it. Um, thought it was, thought it was awesome. So I was, it's kind of been a goal of mine to get into that at some point. It's been start investing in companies, but, uh, my path that I've, that I've been taking here is like, I didn't want to go back to school at that point. And I, I still, still am, uh, uh, you know, 
not not in favor of business school or anything like that. I, I'd rather do it from the operating side of actually building companies and and learning from doing from being a part of the stuff that we're we're doing here and that I've that I've been doing in my career. So uh, that was the like early on. I started to see that. I still had no idea how to do it realistically or what was how it was going to play out. Um, but I like the idea of uh, of like you know of, of venture capital of, of the idea of building and growing companies and and. Uh, figured out right, that that became a goal of mine to get back into it and to figure out a way to do that. So uh, still, I like again nothing. All that dried up. I find I found like a job at State Street down in New York that I had for about a year. Um, just to, I was still kind of like, all right, well, I want to find a way to try to stick it out here in New York for at least a little bit. Um, and and just had like a a it was like a there was a random job at State Street managing a database which I had zero skills or technical ability to do. Um, what? But yeah, <laughs> hey, so you're just you're just like you're just like bouncing around at this time. I've been there, Rob. I've been like you know just like interviewing like, hey, I have to be a quality assurance <laughs> analyst at a bank. Like I, I've been there. Like so, totally. you know, it's like 2007. You're like any job is good job. So what 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 do you remember from that time? Like being the hardest part of like. Or, or did you have an idea of where you wanted to go? Or were you just happy to have a job? Just happy to have a job at that point. Um, for for me, like everyone talks about, when I, I mean, I even said it earlier on this was, you know, the network from Harvard and, and particularly Harvard Hockey Network. And it is really good. It's just like when there's no jobs to hand out, people aren't handing out any jobs. And it was just a challenge to do that. And I realized, like, I think I didn't expect, I think I had an expectation that like, and something that I think other uh, other people have said too is like, oh, if you, if you went to Harvard and played hockey, like you'll get a job, no problem. Like they're just someone will have the network will give you one is, is sort of the expectation, which is just not how it works at all. Like you have to work really hard. Still, you can use the network, but the network isn't just like a something that gives you anything, right? Uh, particularly at that time, it was incredibly hard to do that. So, um, so I yeah, just like I I think I found a job posting and applied like it, literally to state street just for anything um it was in like their hedge fund operations group so i was like oh that's interesting it's like related to hedge funds maybe could still was sort of like maybe the finance would be something i want to do still and still trying to figure that out so i'd be able to at least see something around like how hedge funds work um which but ultimately once i got into the seat it wasn't that at all it was just like it was a back-end database of, of stuff that hedge fund clients were owning and yeah so i just like it was actually interesting though, because the job like got me to see a little bit more of the technology side of things, which is ultimately with the direction I, that I ended up going. But uh, it was just part of the reason I also took it because of the other kind of crappy jobs that are around and are available. Like that one was at least like somewhat related to other things. That I was like, all right, if I, if I don't want to go this direction in finance, at least this is towards the tech side, which is also interesting to me and something that that I'd want to do more. And so, but it was hard. Yeah, like it was it was challenging and. Uh, I, I didn't do. I look back and think I could have done a much better job, like using the network, really, like you know, trying to uh, be more. Um, I think I kind of maybe gave up on things a little too quickly because it was just such like a weird time where there was like you know, people were like, companies were shutting down. Like it was just weird what was going on in New York at that point. So um, yeah, like I had a bunch of friends at Lehman Brothers when that shut down. Like um, like all that sort of stuff was. So, Rob, reset. I mean, we're kind of, you know, the market's always volatile and recession aside, like, what are some piece of advice you have for the younger listeners who are kind of like bouncing around and applying on Indeed and, you know, just looking for the that job that sounds interesting? Like, do you have any advice on 
And if you had to do it again, recession aside, what you would do? Um, for I it, for me, it's like now I know my like I I know what interests me. I know what I like. I know why I do this. But like at that point in my career, was I didn't have that really formed. Like t- today, I could, and I tell this to people a lot. Like I consider myself like a, I like to build. I'm a builder. I like to build. Things. Like that's what I've found that I like to do. And I think like at that point, I had no definition of what I wanted or what I liked. And I it's it's something that had developed as I had experiences to do that. Um, but I didn't even have like a thought or a theory on it or something that I could like kind of at least like a, I didn't have a coherent story of anything, right? Like there was nothing about me that meant like, why would I take this job or why should you give me an opportunity to do this job? But even if we're like, just other than the fact that we're in, that it's part of the network is it's like, it should be like, no, you're all right, great. We're in the network, but I'm using this because this is something that I'm interested in. This is something I want to go after. And I think like being able to find that earlier is something that is hugely beneficial um, to be able to give people in the net in your network or the connections you have a good reason to give you an opportunity to do something, right? Because it fits with something that like you believe that you want to do, as opposed to just like, hey, I need a job, right? But find it, try to find a career, not necessarily a job, right? Yeah, Jr. does a good job of coaching people and in talking to some of the ship's candidates around. Don't be afraid to say, I want to be a salesperson. You know, like, I, I don't know if it was like this back then for you, Rob, but sometimes after college, it's like, you don't really want to say, I want to be in sales. It's you want to be an investment banker. You want to be a lawyer or a doctor or pre-med or engineer, but salesperson is kind of like a bad word. So that's good. That's good advice. Yeah. For like, <laughs> I think it's talk. I mean, like to talk to as many people too, because like to develop that and understand what someone would want to do, like you, it's hard to know that early in your career or when your career is starting. You have no real idea, at least for most people, like for me. And so I think I, I probably should have done a better job of talking to more people, like going and like actually looking at more things. And I think I like should have started that earlier in my hockey career, probably the summer before, you know, I mean, like. Really, it really it takes time to really figure that out, and so I think the more conversations you have, the more you understand what people do, um, the better you're able to like understand how it would work for you, or why you think you'd be good at it, or how it fits into where you want your career to go. Some that changes, obviously, that like, your careers change over time. Obviously, there's no question about that. But at least if you have like a theory as to like you know, for me again, like part of the reason I work at tech startups is because I like to build things, and that's something that I found out with that that VC experience, the early one that I had. Um, but even before that, you know, and even at that point, I didn't have that understanding. Like I couldn't tell that story the way I can tell it now. And if I think if I had figured out how to tell that earlier, it would have given me a better reason to go to people and, and do that. And so it would, but that requires like learning and talking to a lot of people in order to get that information, that understanding that you need to be able to like build that story. So was your, was your, I know your first tech sales job wasn't in startups though, right? Like how, how did you make that transition into sales specifically? Yeah. So, uh, the first one was the first job was at EMC because I still didn't really know where, like I didn't, even at, with all the startups, but I had no understanding of startups. I didn't know like, wh- where would I go? What would I do? Which one would I go after? What's the right place to go? And, um, so for for me going to EMC as a big company, it was like, okay, that touch, you can see a lot and then be able to figure out like what is the right direction to go. Um, what I didn't realize is that part of what happens at big companies is they keep you doing smaller things so that you don't see as much realistically. And like, it's because your job is to do that, like it's to do this one specific thing for that company. 
Um, it, there, I, even still, there was exposure enough to other to other parts of technology with EMC because it is so big that that did give me um, a good understanding of like where where to try to go next. Um, but for me, it was like going to EMC was just kind of a foot in the door because I thought it'd be like, all right, something good on the resume that then you can leverage to go to a a startup or something like that. Uh, you know, I I when I joined EMC, I, I joined with a class of like thirty kids who were fresh out of college, and me who had been now five years out of school, having gotten played hockey, lived in New York for a couple of years, and so I felt like I was in a little bit of a different spot than everyone who was starting in EMC. And like um, one of the things that I talked about with the EMC experience was like early on. Senior VPs who were, who were awesome or would come down and, you know, tell all the kids who just started with the classes before me or after me or around me, like, you know, this EMC is this great place. I have friends who left years ago and they always regret it. And they tell me that. Um, and all the kids would eat it up. And I was a little skeptical of it because I'm like, this, this is, this is a guy who built the place, right? Like he gets you to stay for another quarter. It's another yacht for him. And like he deserves it because he built the damn thing, right? Like that's. That's sort of like how I saw it. it was like the people who were able to like build it and grow it and and uh, and do that are the ones who really get like all the spoils and so to speak. Um, and so, you know, for me at that time when I, <laughs> I would say when I joined EMC at that point, like the the upside of the 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 good run as I saw it or as it seemed to me was like if you if you had a good career at EMC when I joined, everything else I felt like it had been written. Like the people who built it had built it. They, the story was kind of told already, and for me. It just seemed like the a, a good run at EMC would be you get in your mid forties, like be middle management and have a mustache and like there you go. <laughs> and I've Alpecia, so I can't grow a mustache. So I was like, all right. Um, I, I, I sort do you like Rob? Do you like do you like the big company or small company? Yeah. I think I know the answer, but a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners are like, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the listeners are like, hey, should I go, John Jr. Do I go to a startup or do I go work at Oracle or Microsoft? Right. Yeah, get that all the time. For uh, for me, it's absolutely the startup. There's no question. Um, I did the the experience was um, like I said. I thought it was a good idea to get a foot in the door, and and it, and it was at some level. But it, it was very early on. I knew it wasn't for me. Um, I think with my first deal there, I broke six different rules that they had in terms of like what you could do. Um, Jr., you probably don't know this, but like. I went direct, which JR knows we had to go through what? partners. Uh, I yeah, didn't know about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the product we weren't supposed to sell on our team, like everything was wrong with it. And people were like, oh, you're going to get fired. And and I like, and Trevor Bobwick, who was, the, who was my manager at the time, was like, no, they're going to celebrate you for doing something. Like this is, this is the same people who built it. Like that's what they did. And then it's, the difference is like that's what everything's like at a startup. That was like one deal, and outside of that, I was like sort of slap on the wrist, don't do this again. But for when you're at like a growing startup, you're just trying to get creative and find different ways to, to get business in the door and to make things happen. And it, to me, it's it gives you more freedom, but it also allows you to try different things, to learn different things, to do a lot of different stuff. Again, with EMC at that point, it was like they had defined what the role was. Like you do that very well, you get to find another role and do the next thing and move up. With startups, it's like you have to be doing a lot. Like you see a lot outside of just what's inside your role, um, and it, it gives people uh, it, it, in the right startup in a growing environment. Like it, people can grow and learn very quickly. Did um, did your like life as an athlete did it Im- like immediately help as a salesperson? You feel like like and and like what about it was like so obvious that you were like okay, this is just like sports. I get this. 
Yeah, I think the the idea of competing with other people who are on your team at some level too, um, but like by working together, uh, it, you know, with with any team sport, there's only a certain number of roster spots, or there's only a certain number of spots on like the power player or whatever. You know, I mean, like there's only there's only a certain number of people who can do it within each team, but everyone else on the team is still important. And so you have to learn to like work together and know that like if you're competing with yourself and getting better, like it doesn't matter. You don't have to like root against other people on your team. You can root for them and still know that like, but I still want to strive to be better than them to be part of it. It's like position yourself to do that, to just like do better, to be at the top of the leaderboard. Um, so I think like the idea of learning how to, how to be a, um, how to be a, a team player, but at the same time too, like how to drive and excel through uh, myself. Rob, I always like to ask every guest, like, you know, we're all, we, it's just like hockey, right? Like you used to bury people. Um, like we always have one skill that we, we kind of are proud of. Like, what would you say from a sales perspective that you're elite at? Yeah. For me, it's, it's getting creative and finding solutions. And that's why like, when the rules got strict at the bigger companies, it became more of a challenge. Um, that's why I love startups because when you're when you're in a growth mindset and the the risk of not finding an answer is like that the company could go out of business. You have to, like it forces you to get creative and find ways to to sell to people to provide value to show them that like this is worth them buying, and it's not always like super straightforward. So um, I ended up at. A company called Backupify, which is a catalyst for like a lot of the growth in my career, where was was lucky enough to join that. I saw that it was like a growing industry. Uh, it was cloud technologies as that was starting to starting to become a much bigger thing. And but we were selling data backup for companies that had moved to the cloud, and a lot of times, so they wouldn't need to back up their data. <laughs> um, and we had to find other ways to to show that there was value there. And so like we created stories, but like we but like we created use cases and different things for them to use to be able to um understand like why they would still purchase it and, and buy it. Um one of those being like there was we found a way that like just by talking to a lot of people and over a long period of time understanding that like they were spending money on stuff they didn't need to if they could reallocate it to this. And it was just like it, that took a lot of like trying to get creative and figure out ways that it could be valuable of just talking to people and saying, you know, particularly at a startup as you're trying to do that, like, just like, what happens if we did this? Well, what if we did this? And just like trying to get creative and always pushing that is something that all of a sudden someone's like, oh my God, if you could do that, like that would be incredible. And then you're like, actually, we can do that. Now you start to position it that way and you find that that's like something that's more valuable to them. So it's, for me, that was like, that's the thing that, that has been what's, what I've excelled at in my career um, is is just like continuing to push on those those conversations, being super interested, um, trying to be interesting enough so they don't just hang up or leave the call, but at least give me the information in that they they trust and respect that I'm doing the right work to try to try to find a solution here, and and will give me the you know transparency and, and visibility to meet. That. You bring up a good point about. That, that mindset of just kind of finding a way. I mean, I remember when I was playing, I was playing high school ball and we played BC high and they were like, you know, I used to knock kids over in the Hawk Mock League down in Mansfield, you know, and we played BC high and their tight end was 6'6", 285 going to Penn State. And I was like, I can't block this kid. So we had to figure out a way, like a scheme on the offensive line of what to do or what plays to run around him. And like, you know, you just try to, 
nothing's easy in a, on the field and nothing's easy in, in sales. So I think being tenacious, it's a, it's a great quality to have. So, I mean, in terms of, you know, bending the rules, breaking the rules, what other unpopular opinions does, uh, does Rob Flynn have in sales that might not suit well for, you know, the prototypical 2022 grad? I think you know where we're headed with this one, Rob. Oh, yeah. Mine's, mine's obvious. I mean, for me, and this is something that we do here at Link Squares is we're in the office five days a week. We have five days a week in the office. I think early in my career, if I was trying to learn how to sell and do that working from home, it would have been an absolute disaster. I don't understand how that can happen today for someone who's just starting to learn how to like sales again, because the create all the stuff I'm talking about getting creative and doing it comes from just constant conversations. If you're at home, like not just with customers or prospects, but like with everyone else around you too, what are you hearing? What are you hearing? What's going on here? Like, what, what, how can we, what can we do? It's just to, to like, you just pick up so much being around people that early in my career, if I was trying to do that working from home, it would, it just would have been a failure. And it, like, I, I can tell you hundred percent that I wouldn't be here today if that was the case. Um, so, f- you know, I know that working from home and remote lifestyles are, are great. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are, are touting that as a massive benefit. But we're, we've gone the exact opposite direction and we're five days a week in the office for a reason. We just found that we could be somewhat effective at home, but the people who were effective were the ones who were more experienced. The newer people who were just starting out, it was a massive challenge for them. And at this point in my career, would I, would I like to work from home more? Yeah, I would. I like, that'd be great. As a family at home, like, I'll, you know, it'd be, it'd be good to do that. But like, that'd be a disservice to the newer people on our team who are trying to grow and do it, like, and, and build their career. Uh, listen, like I get it. It's 2022. Everybody wants to like take, take lunch and like, you know, work a real estate agent's schedule, but like it, you, you gotta earn it. I think like personally, right? Like my whole opinion is if you're like 22 to 26 years old, you're new in your career, you don't have a mortgage or a family and you have an opportunity to move to a new city. And, and like you said, Rob, like, be around your peers, your, 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 your managers. And like, I, we used to call it a turbonomic. We used to call it learning through osmosis. Like you couldn't sit on the sales floor and not learn. You would have to try to not learn just from listening to other people's conversations, just to listening to other people's phone calls. I get the remote work thing, but I struggle with it because I think it's, it's good. like, you're right, Rob, if that's an important, something important to you in your life, then you can have that in tech sales eventually, right? But you need to kind of build a foundation around your peers, right? Like that's kind of my opinion for these folks that are early in their career. It's okay to like make a change for a couple of years, get out of your comfort zone and go and go learn around other people. That's my opinion, John. I agree. I agree. I think like, like, uh, you know, it's almost like grad school when you get out there, it's like, you don't want to just start grad school as like, or start college as a remote student. You know, a lot of people today are going to college online and like, you know, kids are going to Harvard last couple of years online. And that's like that it's cool, but you probably learn way more, you know, in the dorms, walking the halls. You know, I know it's a pandemic, so I know I understand that, but I'm just saying like after, co- after college, after sports, you should be around other people that are, kind of in the same boat as you. And you do have to earn it a little bit. I remember when I started playing football, I wanted to be number 55. And they were like, the senior captain, middle linebacker is 55. You're a freshman. Like, you got to you gotta carry the bags. Earn it. Like, you're not, 100%. you got to earn it. 
So, do you know? Well, do you know why most, in my opinion, and I, I know a few other people feel the same way, and it's not a popular opinion, is that like the reason why a lot of sales teams are going remote is not because of the the like entry level employees, like the, the AEs, the account executives, the DDRs who want to do it. It's because the managers don't want to be in the office, right? Because it's easier for me in this stage of my career right. if I were to work from home. It certainly is, right? But like, that's not, I didn't, I work for great mentors and Chris Hessler, a number of other people who like d- were dedicated to helping us grow in a way that like, I, it, I, it, I owe it to the team here to give it back to them, to be here, to spend the time with them. I mean, my, my schedule is more flexible now. Like as I, as a, one of the leaders of the sales team here. Um, so like that naturally happens as you earn it and it's totally part of it. But like, if we were to just work remotely and get rid of our office, it would, it would, it would benefit me more but it would totally hurt the team and so like that's why most companies are doing it is because it actually helps the management and that's that's who's making the rules learn earn and return dude i couldn't agree more and you're you're in your return phase now and and it's going to continue and you guys are building an awesome an awesome engine out there and in, in link squares um all right we're, we're at the end i want to ask one last question um we uh, we always talk about it's it's like a hockey analogy. My dad used to say when I was little, he's like, "Listen, a lot of people play hockey, but there's not a lot of hockey players, right?" And and that's about like being a pro, right? Like we even at like nine years old, my dad would talk to me and my brothers about being a pro, and we talk to our our um, candidates that are fresh, kind of coming into tech sales about like, listen, you can sell technology or you can be a technology sales professional. Very different things. What does being a pro in this business, what does it mean to you? Yeah, it means um, being interested and in being interesting, right? Like being interested in the technology, actually. Being interested in what people are, are, um, are like what, what they care about. And then being interesting yourself, like being able to bring your own personality in a way that like sets you apart, um, but it makes you interesting to them. And that they, they can, like, again, they can tell you've put in the time and effort um that they respect that work that you've done that makes you credible and gives you like allows them to trust you that you're not going to waste their time because you know what you're talking about right like and it that requires being dedicated to it and not just saying like all right i'll show up tomorrow make the dials or do whatever it's like no i'm like i'm immersing myself in i'm listening to podcasts i'm doing different things that are like making me really understand and be actually interested in what I'm doing and allows me to be interesting in return. I love that answer, dude. We have, a, I have a whole course, be interested. That's like, literally we, we talk about that podcast, read books, you know, it's awesome. And, and be interesting is such, such good advice, Rob, because I remember there was a point in my career where I was so focused on selling software. I remember I had a meeting with someone and they asked me like, so what do you got going on this weekend? And I didn't even know. Like, I was like, deals. And it sounded so bad. But like, it's all I was doing. And I was like, man, I'm this boring software salesperson. Like, I need to get some hobbies. Or I need to, like, talk about my life. Because I was just so focused on the deal. So I think that's very important, you know? People don't want to just talk to somebody who's just professional sales, 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 sales. They want to talk about kids and, you know, construction and families and stuff like that. So sports, whatever. I think that's a really good point. I haven't heard somebody say that before. That was awesome. Rob, unreal, buddy. Thank you so much, man. That was great. We appreciate you coming on with us, my man. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Who, who would have thought years ago at Kohl's we'd be sitting here talking about our careers, huh? I did. <laughs>
<laughs> I did too. <laughs> uh, I love it. All right, man. Have a good day. Thank you. Thanks, guys. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.